Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort, and this is another special edition on Comfort's Corner. Comfort's Corner is our regular pop-up podcast coming to you three times a week now, early week, midweek, and weekend, for an update on how the public transportation industry is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. In some places uh, this week, this is a recording for the middle of the week, April 8th, 2020, and April 9th, 2020, there is a talk that we are reaching the peak or the apex in some locations around the country of the infections, but public transportation is still dealing with um, a lot of the input uh, brought on by this. The, um, I wanted to cover today some good news, so we'll be covering the headlines in just a few minutes of how people are responding. And then we've got a great interview with um, Peter Varga, the former chairman of um, APTA. He currently is on the board and former longtime CEO and industry leader. He was the CEO of the transit system in Grand Rapids, Michigan, called the Rapid. Uh, He still is in contact with a lot of his cohorts as members of numerous committees on APTA. And I asked him today to bring us an update uh, on what he's hearing from around the country. We have a a pretty long 15-minute conversation about what he's hearing. And then also I asked him to read a portion of his chapter in my book, The Future of Public Transportation. We've been Uh, including audio excerpts from the book at the end of each program because we are going to come out of this and when we do uh, we still are looking at a lot of the same themes that were in my best-selling book the future of public transportation and he wrote a great section on um, umta and fta and remember umta the urban mass transit association that's what it was when i got started back in 1987 in this business and um and how the funding and regulations from the federal government have changed over the years and the role of the a role of the FTA has actually dramatically increased in the last couple of years, first starting with its safety oversight role after some incidents at WMATA, Washington Metro, uh, where the FTA became very involved through congressional action eventually um, to require, you know, management plans and SMS plans and uh, you know, statewide leaders uh, of safety for each state. And uh, now their role obviously has improved even more under Jane Williams the acting administrator who used to work with me at the Maryland Department of Transportation as our Washington, D.C. representative, she was able to take this congressional money and get it out even a day early, which was, uh, you know, a Herculean effort. And so the $25 billion has now been, you know, it's in the pipeline. Of course, it's reimbursement funds, remember. So it's not like somebody's pouring millions of dollars into their uh, bank accounts, but the agencies will spend the money and then get reimbursed. FDA has held two calls already this week, uh, and I think another one may be scheduled for people to kind of ask questions. They've also updated their website with frequently asked questions. So if you have any questions about how you can spend the money, they're being very liberal in my opinion in the interpretation and broad, which is great for the transit industry, uh, as long as it's related to the COVID-19 response. And so you can look up uh, on their website, the Federal Transit Administration website on the coronavirus. Uh, They've got FAQs. I was getting messages this morning from people wondering about, can they use it on certain maintenance things? Other people have asked me questions about, you know, capital projects and uh, all the answers to your questions are right on the website. Uh, And some people though are using this time to get ahead. What do I mean by that? Well, the Twin Cities Transit Agencies, um, you know, in in Minnesota uh, are using the slower times brought on by this coronavirus pandemic to tackle a long list of needed maintenance and to accelerate major capital projects. And I'm hearing this around the country. And so I wanted to highlight them because I think they're doing a tremendous job. Uh, of, of, you know, using their time wisely. Besides keeping buses, trains, and platforms clean, Metro Transit is remodeling a North Suburban Transit Station. The Minnesota Valley Transit Authority is bringing a deteriorating bus garage into a state of good repair. 
Southwest Transit is finishing a garage expansion and a facility improvement. Len Simic, who's CEO of Southwest Transit, said, we are using this downtime productively. Southwest started work on the $6 million expansion last fall, but design changes, coupled with difficulty in procuring supplies, slowed the work on the 100,000 square foot addition. Now with 70 of its 80 buses idled, the agency has advanced segments of the project and even enlisted drivers and staff members to help. And work on the building on County Road 62 could be done by June and we'll have room for all of its buses and administrative offices. Simic said, we're gonna paint the building ourselves, noting the move to use in-house labor will save money and keep workers on the job. Drivers didn't want to be furloughed, he said, quote unquote. Tasks such as patching potholes and washing ramps to remove winter road salt normally are reserved for weekends with park and rides nearly empty every day. Crews have started washing them this last week. And with its crumbling foundation, the MVTA's Burnsville bus garage earned the lowest rating of any bus garage in the region, region said Rich Crawford, a spokesman for the agency. Some of the building's concrete block walls have eroded over time. And so they're going to start working on uh, restoring the building. Uh, they are the area's largest metro transit is the area's largest public transportation provider. And they're also putting a lot of effort into cleaning and sanitizing the buses, trains, and platforms and card readers. Um, as many as 40 public facilities employees are trying to catch up on a backlog of vandalized bus shelters, damaged signs, and lighting fixtures. Kerr said, like any homeowner with a honeydew list, we have a long list. The agency is also undertaking capital projects that include remodeling the 15-year-old Brooklyn Center transit station with new lighting, renovated public restrooms, a lounge for drivers. Outdoor upgrades will include new concrete and crosswalks, canopies at both ends of the plaza, an installation of bike racks. Three weekends of light rail maintenance and work and the Orange Line, a bus rapid transit project connecting Minneapolis to Burnsville, will continue. And even with revenue down due to a big drop in ridership, capital projects will not be adversely affected. Kerr said capital projects come from a budget separated from operating expenses and uh, they're getting extra time. It's also allowing agencies to get caught up on required comprehensive and detailed reports that are due to the NTD, the National Transit Database, according to Maple Grove Transit's Transit Administrator, Mike Opatz. He said, there are many federal transit duties we have to continue regardless of the current state of affairs. We're hopeful that the reopening of the economy will happen at some point and bus service will ramp up quite quickly. But if I get caught up with everything, there is always additional analysis of service and policies that can be done and maybe get to some of the filling in the other cleaning over there that never, there just never seems to be time to get to. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that story because it comes out of the Star Tribune, uh, a local newspaper there, because this is exactly the kind of thing that we should be doing. We should be uh, making wise use of our times. Uh, and they're doing just that. And maybe that'll give you some ideas of what you can do. One of the other ways you can use your time wisely would be to attend my upcoming CEO roundtable. What? That's right. Uh, I've got a big CEO roundtable coming up uh, next week um, on the um, Tuesday, the April 14th at 2 p.m. It's a managing through COVID. And I've got six of uh, great CEOs, Inez Evans, the CEO of Indigo, Scott Bogren, who is um, Executive Director of the Community Transportation Association of America, representing America's mid-size and smaller systems. Wade Coombs is head of transit in Strathcona County in Canada. He'll be representing the Canadian point of view. Bill Carpenter uh, from Rochester, New York, who has a great list of uh, to-do things that he's been working on there. Julie Tim, my new friend from Richmond, who is CEO there. And then Kevin Quinn, my longtime friend, who is CEO of the Maryland Transit Administration, my old alma mater. All six of those will be on our, um, on our live webinar where we're going to do a host and I'm going to ask them how they've been you know, dealing with um, 
what's been happening lately with COVID-19, what the response is. It'll be a 90-minute show. You can join for free. Just go to trapezegroup.com and look for the opportunity to, uh, to log in and register. You, you register. It doesn't cost to register, but it just puts you in queue to get the, um, you know, to be able to log in and watch and listen live. And that'll be next Tuesday, the 14th at 2 p.m. We're doing another show the next Tuesday at 2 p.m. and another show on the 28th at 2 p.m. All these will be um, talking about ways to how we're handling COVID and how we're getting through COVID-19 and what comes next. So make sure you sign up for those at uh, trapezegroup.com. A couple other headlines before we head into our newsmaker interview. Drivers for CODA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority, are concerned about riders, some of them homeless, who ride the bus without a destination in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak. I've heard that from numerous transit systems. Some folks are actually have put up signs uh, in front of the bus stops that say, you know, are you an essential a person that needs to go to an essential service? If not, what are you doing here? Other folks I've heard have even asked their uh, local police officers to, uh, to be there as well, to talk to people about why they're on the vehicle. So if you have an interesting way you're addressing that, let me know. Connect with me on Twitter, at Comfort Paul, or on LinkedIn. Or you can just email me at paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com and let me know how your transit system is handling it. Some cities are also adding more buses on the major routes. Uh, one of them is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They're adding vehicles to its Route 66 route, and which folks were concerned that uh, now that we've reduced routes, they're, the, some of the buses are being overwhelmed with people and they're right back into potentially, you know, elbow to elbow on the vehicle. And, and we obviously don't want that. And so people are looking for ways to, um, to make sure that on the heaviest used routes, they bring service back, so to speak. Others like Miami-Dade are partnering with Uber and Lyft for late night essential rides. So there's lots of different approaches and we'll hear more of that on our interview next um, with our special guest, Peter Varga. Uh, and he'll be talking about what's happening around the country. And then um, stay tuned for uh, Peter reading a section from his book, uh, from, from our book that we wrote together. He wrote one of the chapters and it's called The Future of Public Transportation. All that on today's episode of Comfort's Corner here on uh, Transit Unplugged, your favorite podcast worldwide. We're heard now in 99 countries. Can you believe that? 99 countries we've got listeners around the world on and thousands of listeners all over the place. And we thank you for being one of them and for uh, reaching out and letting us know how much the show means to you. I've heard from so many people who've said the show is just you know, very meaningful to them and helps them during this time of crisis. Happy to be here for you. I'm Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there. All right, I'm with Peter Varga, who is our headline newsmaker today. Peter was a longtime uh, general manager, CEO of the Rapid, the transit system in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, he has also been a longtime member of APTA and is the former chair of APTA. Peter, thanks so much for being with us. Yes, thank you. And where are we talking you uh, to from today? Well, I, I am in Michigan in, uh, in my study. There you go. And Peter, you're doing, uh, you're, you're basically doing consulting now, right? After your retirement. That's cause that's correct. I, I have a LLC and I'm doing consulting for transit systems and also a, a major company. I'm, I'm helping in it with their transportation business and attending conferences for them. Very good. So I know that you've been, you and I have been in touch. You and I have become good friends over the last couple of years since, uh, since you were a guest on my regular podcast, Transit Unplugged. And um, I've been talking to you off and on about what you're hearing in the industry as uh, transit systems are reacting and responding and coming up with new plans um, 
you know, as a result of the impact of this COVID-19 crisis. So tell us what you're hearing, because uh, you've been in touch with a lot of transit systems around the country, as have I, but I think you've been in touch with different ones, so you've got a good perspective. Yeah, that's right. So um, my, my information comes mostly because I'm a member of so many APTA committees, um, not only the Legislative Committee or the Sustainability Steering Committee, but I, I'm still a member of the Small Operations Committee because I was chair many years ago, and the Midsize Operations Committee and the Bus Operations Committee. I've maintained these connections, and so I've been able to attend the meetings, and I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things at those meetings. Um, and so um, one, of, one of the things that's coming up is a lot of transit union concerns, um, issues stemming from drivers and transit unions that want safety. Uh, they're asking for things like hazard pay or, or getting barriers protecting them. Um, in, in many systems, bus operators are requesting or demanding face masks. Um, the other issue out there is whether systems mandating drivers wearing the face, tax, uh, face mask. For example, at PSTA, they're enforcing this. Uh, in Monterey Salinas, for example, they're even asking drivers to shop for masks. Uh, New York's MTA distributed 24,000 masks and 3.2 million gloves. And so other systems are moving in this direction across the country. Cap Metro in Austin, GRTC system in Richmond, Peoria, uh, Illinois, Lane Transit. So many are, are responding to the issue about protection for drivers. Um, that's one of the main issues out there. Um, another one comes up because of the service reductions due to lost revenue and loss of ridership. Um, you know, how, how, how do you reduce service? And uh, so many systems are going to Saturday-type services, which is causing problems. And then and drivers being asked, for example, to work every other week, for example, or implementing layoffs. So you have these issues out there regarding them. And, and I'll speak more to that later. Uh, collecting zero fares and rear boarding is something that so many systems are doing, uh, partially to protect drivers and staff. So um, Sound Transit and King County Metro in Seattle were one of the first to move in this direction. Uh, in Ohio, Akron Metro Regional Transit and Toledo Area Regional Transit Authority also went in this direction. Uh, Des Moines Area Regional Transit suspended fare collection on March 17 asked drivers to use the rear door maintain, and maintaining social distances, though still continue to be a problem. Uh, one major concern, how to board people with disabilities when they need to use the front door or how to enforce people separate themselves. Uh, so you have those that, that maintaining mandated six feet distances or only enforcing essential trips becomes a um, major problem out there. Um, in, in some instances, they have to add marked seats so that they could only sit in these marked seats. That, that's happening in, like in Lansing and Grand Rapids. Um, in some other areas, they have re reduced the number of people who can board a bus. Um, in one system I know of, uh, VTA and Santa Clara, the county police there are actually uh, going on the buses asking whether they are on essential trips. So this thing about enforcing essential trips is something that's out there. I talked to Nuria yeah. last night, actually, from VTA. Uh, oh, you did? I, I've seen, yeah, yeah, I've seen some of these signs being posted around on systems, too, that say, um, you know, at bus stops, are you here for an essential trip? If not, what are you doing here? <laughs> 
Yeah, I know, and that's you know that's one of the sensitive things is they don't they don't want to ask operators asking those questions, you right. know. So um, then then uh, in Santa Cruz, for example, um, they're enforcing a single ride policy. No one can reboard the same bus route on the same route once it gets a terminal. And all carry-on items must be in one's lap. They have more than that. They cannot board the bus. Um, and at terminals, the security guards are assisting and asking customers about the purpose of the ride. So if they can't identify a central trip, they don't let them board the bus. So you have various ways of addressing this issue. When, um, when we get through this pandemic, let's say, I don't know when it'll be, but let's say, you know, in a month or two or three, whenever, whenever we're kind of over the hump and then uh, kind of getting back into service, uh, I'm concerned about, you know, we've, we've spent the last three months telling people don't ride transit unless you absolutely have to. And uh, as a result of that, as you mentioned, there are, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues happening where people um, uh, are politicians and leaders are saying, you know, transit is a petri dish where germs can, you know, move around and the, the hard metal surfaces, the stanchions and the, the grab rails are places where germs can be transmitted, et cetera. And so I feel like transit is getting a bad rap somewhat. And I'm concerned about how this may impact our ability to, to rev back up when it's over. Um, I know that a lot of systems probably will keep their increased cleaning protocols in place. Uh, you know, when prior to this, maybe they were they were swept out and, and a deep clean once a week, and now they're getting it every night. I'm sure a lot of systems will continue that every night deep cleaning for a while. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts on the recovery efforts when we get when we get through this and we're on the other side? Uh, what are we going to need to do to make sure people feel like transit is safe again for everyone to use? Well, well one thing I do believe, though, is once once the services are resuming back to normal, instead of this limited service, that the people who rode before will be back on the buses. Um, I, I, I think the ridership will come back up to that level at least. Um, the issue is beyond that. How do, you, how do you go beyond that and start increasing ridership and focusing on the things that transit systems were doing to, to build ridership? And there are many systems that were doing it, but many were, were already facing issues. So I, I do think once you get out of this um, COVID-19 world, it'll go back to where it was before. What are the issues that still be out there, though, is some of this with the safety issues, especially with drivers. Um, drivers will, will want to have more protection. Uh, some of the other issues are there, there are systems that are providing hazard pay or incentive pay for drivers, and th those drivers will want to continue to be paid that after this is all over. So I, I don't think it's going to be the, the ridership issue is going to be the, all these other ancillary issues that came up during the process. I, I recently wrote an article for Metro Magazine, which will appear in their uh, May issue, and it's the five long-term implications of coronavirus on public transportation. And today on my LinkedIn profile, I posted uh, kind of a preview of, of the first one, which is what I'm calling the death of the fare box. Uh, I think, you know, as you know, as you mentioned, a lot of systems are requiring rear board boarding, uh, rear door boarding of the buses now, so they don't, you know, interact with a driver at the front door. They're not putting cash in the fare box per se. Um, and I know that some systems were pushing like KCATA to go to free fares anyway, and they've already done that here. And I think some of them may try to stay there. 
I think people are using are, are going to come back using more of the validators, more of the e-faring, uh, more of uh, kind of new technology ways, even the wearables. Any thoughts on that from your perspective, uh, you know, as a long-term industry leader? Yeah, you know, I, th I think you're right. I think this issue about free fares or how you pay for fares is going to be there. Some systems and already permanently moving in that direction. I know Olympia Washington and KCTA were, um, were doing that. Um, the, the transition away from a traditional fare box is occurring in many systems. It's just they haven't gotten – the problem is cash. You know, cash right. is still going to be out there. Uh, but I, I would suspect that um, the majority of passengers will have a way either with uh, getting wave cards, um, uh, special transit cards, or using their phones, they'll be able to pay in a different way than before, which means the contact with the driver is going to be minimal. And, and some of these things can occur at the rear door. That's um, right. I mean, you can have a, a yeah, validator. So you don't have to, yeah, a validator could be, at the, especially on the, on the larger um, uh, systems where you don't have to have a uh, contact because the bus is, is so much bigger. It's, a, it's either an articulated bus or whatever. So, so there, I think you will see an adjustment in the issue about fares and, and fare management and, yep. and free, yeah, free fares though has a, has its own ancillary problems that right. I've been observing through many systems. It's just that the, the, the homeless are writing it because it's free. And so, um, I haven't seen really any good responses to how to deal with the with the with the homeless population, which, which really they're using the system to to not do essential trips, but to to survive. So um, I think that'll continue to be a problem out there. And I haven't heard that much conversation about how to deal with the homeless. Yeah, interesting. And I think. Uh moving moving away from a fare box to other types of fare payment for those who will keep their fares will lead to them now being able to do all door boarding on the buses on a regular basis and that of course will speed up transit in the central business districts of cities where they've had people queued up you know at the front door waiting to get on on board and now if they're able to enter both doors uh, entering and exiting both doors i think that'll help improve the overall average system miles per hour which of course will make the yeah. make the service more attractive, right? Because the the faster, right. the more efficient right. we can make vehicles, the more people want to ride them. So that's some of the one of the positive right. things coming out of this. Do you agree? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Reducing dwell time and maintaining service better because of it is going to be a key improvement that comes out of uh, using these mechanisms. Yep. Very good. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, wrap up our our interview today, our newsmaker interview, Peter? Yeah, you know, one thing that I'm I'm wondering about is that because because of the CARES Act that was passed, the Coris, Cor, Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, transit systems are getting three times their normal formula money as an ex expanded uh, uh, dollars that they can use in different ways. And I haven't heard much of what systems are doing with that, and what will be the implications of of having additional funds that that deal with loss of fare box revenue or being able to keep continuing service while you're paying people or, or um, all the, the flexible components of that act. And I've hardly heard anything from transit industries about how they're going to use that act to come, to come out of this um, time and, and recover actually. Interesting. Yeah. So I've talked to uh, the day after the funds were released late last week uh, on Monday of this week, I called five CEOs of transit systems to ask them exactly that to say, is this enough money and how long will it last? 
And without identifying who they were, even since then, I've talked to a number of other CEOs of companies and, and agencies. And what I'm hearing generally is that, you know, it is 200, about 280% of their annual FY 2020 allocation. Uh, and the FTA had two phone calls this week already. Um, we're talking on Wednesday. They already had two um, uh, webinars where they answer questions and they basically gave a very broad definition of how these funds can be used. Exactly. Preparing for, exactly. dealing with, and then recovering from COVID. And they're allowing people to take as long as they need to to spend it. There's no local match and uh, it can be used for capital yeah. or operating expenses. So a number of them obviously exactly. are going to pay for the increased costs that are required, such as supplies, cleaning supplies, adding extra cleaners, et cetera. But others of them are even thinking of more creative uses of it in responding to the COVID. And some of them may be um, using this funds for capital expenditures related to fare recoveries, uh, moving to new fare systems, et cetera, because um, that is a way to respond to what's happening with the COVID crisis. And so I think that um, in addition, there'll be, um, you know, a lot of drivers have gone on furlough or gone on administrative leave. Uh, one agency told me they'd worked with the union to identify, you know, dozens and dozens of drivers who were um, uh, in the high risk category, maybe over 60 years old or with underlying health conditions. And they allowed them right, to use right. PTO, paid time off and administrative leave. And so I think some will be using that to cover those expenses as well. And so it is a healthy chunk of money when you think about it almost 300% yeah. on top of the 100% you already had for this year, meaning a total of 400%. Right. Right. It's a big hunk of money yeah. and it's really gonna help our system stay afloat. Those that, are, so. those that, are, yeah, those that are relying on sales tax are especially um, uh, susceptible to the damage that this thing has caused to the economy because sales tax in a lot of cities have gone down. And so I think these funds right. will help make up kind of the gap there as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. And uh, you know, so I'll be, I'll, I'll be interesting It'll be interesting to see how all this moves forward over time. So this is one of the things I'll be tracking. The other thing I did want to say here is that the FDA, Federal Transit Administration, has really stood up rapidly under the situation. Yes. And, and you know, those webinars and, and the, their desire to actually help transit systems is a very high level. And I, I, even I have been contacted by people inside the FDA to tell me, guide me to what's going on because they knew I wasn't working for a transit system, but knew I was interested in this. So I, I would commend them during this time for actually moving very quickly to help transit systems. Yeah, Jane Williams, John Bodner, some of the others there who I know have just done a tremendous job really quickly standing up and, and they were able to get the money distributed a day early, which in Washington, D.C. Yeah. these days is not heard of. Isn't and that so amazing? Kudos to the FDA. I agree with you there. Thanks so much, Peter, for being our guest today. And later on this episode, you'll also be reading uh, a, a segment from the chapter you wrote in my book on this exact topic, which is federal funding and how the federal government was involved. So thank you so much for your friendship and your leadership in our industry. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Beyond the Urban Mass Transportation Act. Prior to the mid-1960s, there was very little public funding of public transportation. This was certainly true of federal support for transit. With much lower ridership than existed at the end of World War II and mounting debts, transit systems were losing revenue and going out of business as private businesses. Many of these were re reorganized as public entities. One example I'm familiar with is in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where until last year, I was the CEO of the Rapid for 21 years. 
The privately operated public transit system was initially taken over by the city of Grand Rapids and eventually evolved into a regional public transit system as the Grand Rapids Area Transit Authority, Grata. Finally, during my tenure, there are six cities created the Interurban Transit Partnership, better known as the Rapid. The new authority was financially more stable and had increased operating funds as it was subsidized with local property tax and state gas taxes. Federal funds were needed to recapitalize a system in Grand Rapids, much as it had been necessary in other cities following the dissolution of the private transit operators. Today, the focus of the federal program is still on the capital side, but the program has evolved to support operational expenses in some circumstances, as well as safety oversight planning and research. Major federal involvement in public transportation dates to the Urban Mass Transportation Act of 1964. In 1962, President Kennedy proposed capital assistance for mass transportation projects. Kennedy sent a major transportation message to Congress that called for the establishment of a program of federal capital assistance for mass transportation. Said President Kennedy, to conserve and enhance values in existing urban areas is essential, but at least as important are steps to promote economic efficiency and livability in areas of future development. Our national welfare, therefore, requires the provision of good urban transportation with the properly balanced use of private vehicles and modern mass transport to help shape as well as serve urban growth. But President Kennedy did not live to see a bill funding his proposal into law. It was signed into law by President Lyndon Johnson on July 9, 1964. We are a nation of travelers. You cannot write our history without devoting many chapters to the Pony Express, the stagecoach, the railroad, the automobile, the airplane. Yet until 1964, the federal government did little or nothing to help the urban commuter, said President Lyndon B. Johnson in his remarks at the signing of the Urban Mass Transportation Act. The act created the Urban Mass Transportation Administration, AMTA. The agency was charged with providing federal assistance for mass transit projects, including an initial $375 million in capital assistance over three years as mandated by the Act. In 1991, the agency was renamed the Federal Transit Administration, FTA. Changes in federal assistance occurred over the next 55 years, primarily in conjunction with each transportation reauthorization bill as the act eventually known as the Federal Transit Act was changed. The creation of AMTA and later the FDA stimulated a resurgence of transit investments in the United States. According to an FDA brochure, transit services supported by FDA span many groups and provide wide-ranging benefits. Since 1964, FDA has partnered with state and local governments to create an enhanced public transportation systems investing more than $12 billion annually to support and expand public rail, bus, trolley, ferry, and other transit services. That investment has helped modernize public transportation and extended service into small cities and rural communities that previously lacked transit options. These investments gradually transformed America as each transportation reauthorization bill was passed. As stated in Wikipedia, in the United States, the Federal Transportation Bill refers to any number of multi-year funding bills for surface transportation programs. These have included 
the Surface Transportation Uniform Relocation Assistance Act of 1987, the Intermodal Surface Transportation Efficiency Act, known as ICE-T in 1991, the National Highway System Designation Act, NHS, in 1995, the Transportation Equity Act for 21st Century, T21, in 1998, the Safe, Accountable, Flexible, Efficient Transportation Equity, a Legacy for Users, Safety Lou in 2005, and the Moving Ahead for Progress in the 21st Century, MAP 21 2012, and the Fixing America Surface Transportation Fast in 2015.